Wow, what a beautiful and glorious morning we have, church. Let us clap our hands one more time. I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, if I'm honest, I have anticipated uh, this day in many ways, and uh, I'll, I'll share with you why. Um, but before I do that, uh, today's even more special because we have so many first-time guests visiting us. And so, Dwelling Place Church, if we can make um, these amazing guests feel welcome, we welcome you. Uh, first and foremost, into the house of the Lord, um, and we welcome you into our church community and family. Um, we believe that Jesus Christ is both Savior and King. We believe by his work that he reconciled man onto the Father, and now he sits and he reigns. And so as sons and daughters of the Savior, we understand that we then are ambassadors of his kingdom, not our own. And so as you sit with us, we want you to know that we believe that it's, it's God's work that must be done, and it's God's hand that saves, not our own. And we're just privileged that God graced us and welcomed us into his plan. And so on behalf of the Dwelling Place Church, all its pastors and its leaders, and for anyone watching online at this time, we just welcome you as well. Let's just give it up one more time. Thank you so much, Dwelling Place Church. We love you. Y'all crazy people. <laughs> Some might call us crazy, but I call you guys faithful. And, and sometimes... <laughs> You got to take the craziness if it comes with faithfulness. <laughs> so um, you guys are awesome, beautiful people. And while you guys are standing, you guys are still standing. You're still awesome. Um, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And while you're doing that, I want to also specially just welcome my, my aunt and my uncle and my cousin who recently relocated from... From New York, it's so great to have you here. Um, if you guys don't know, I, I know my family has, has watched this online, and they came in saying, oh, I know you, oh, I know you. It's like when you watch a, a, you know, a show, or, and all of a sudden you meet these people in real life, it's like, you're real, can I touch, can I touch you? Like, um, and so many, you might not know them, but they might know uh, some of you, and so... I'm just so glad that you're here, so glad that you're here, and so it just makes today extra special. Let's go into God's Word. We thank Him for the privilege just to worship, Deuteronomy chapter 9. We just thank God for the privilege to be in worship, right? How, how freely we can step into that, and that's God's desire, that we would, we would meet Him through the door of worship. And so it is our prayer that you, you feel welcomed, more than because someone, one of us greeted you, but because of the spirit of worship that opens the door for you to come before the presence of the Father. And we're in Deuteronomy chapter 9, and if you're joining us for the first time, uh, 
just a couple of weeks ago, we began a teaching series in our church called A Reason to Remember. A Reason to Remember. Now, I know that might be contradictory to how we're programmed. We're programmed to forget the past and to move on. And God has placed it in our hearts as a church that is on a journey with him. And today, maybe it's your first time joining us. I know for certain that you are on a journey with God yourself. You do not have to belong to the Dwelling Place Church and have a membership card. We don't have those anyway. But for you to be on a journey, all of our lives individually are on a journey. And throughout the journey of life in itself, we'll create Life itself, will, will, all you need to do is live a little bit. And you will see that life is difficult and life is hard. And you will pass through things that will traumatize you. You will pass through things and experience stuff that will greatly challenge your whole mind, your heart. Um, and the world that we live in is a corrupt place. Very unforgiving at times. And so because of that, naturally what the body does in response to suppress pain and to try to allow the human life to progress in the midst of that, the body tries to compensate pain with forgetting. It's a way of the body trying to protect itself from traumas and anxieties and fears. But what we feel God is saying to us as a church, and I believe today if you're here, God knew you would be here, and you will be here on this day, that there is something that God wants to do in the remembering. And so today, if you would, everyone here, if you would allow, become vulnerable, and I know you've been trained and taught to forget, but if you would allow God to go into your remembering, I believe something can happen. I believe healing can happen if you allow God to go into that past that you have tried to forget. I believe vision can come out of a dark past if you allow God to step into that place. And so this is true for us as a church. As we transition, and if you don't know, we're believing that God has called us, and next month we're supposed to be closing on, on, on our very own building property, a place to finally call a place of rest for our church where we can do God's work uh, in peace, so to say, and freely. And the teaching that God has placed on our hearts as a church is this. Before we step into that future, we have to remember some things of the past. And if we allow God to go there with us, when we remember, it'll help our future. Amen? Amen. And so we've been in the book of Deuteronomy. Why? Because Moses has the nation of Israel. They've been in wandering for 40 years, and they're on the outskirts of the promised land. The Jordan is out in front of them. And so the book of Deuteronomy is all about Moses teaching not the generation that left Egypt, but their children. He is preparing them to transition into the future but what the book of Deuteronomy is about is about him telling them they have to remember the past. You have to remember. You have to remember what your crazy parents did 
So you do not repeat. You have to remember certain things that God did in that past. Because the problem with us forgetting all of the past, we forget all of the grace of the past. We forget all of the forgiveness of the past. We forget all of what God said in the past. So you cannot throw out all of the past because in doing so, you might throw out some of his mercies. So look at Deuteronomy 9. This is our third week, verses 1 through 7. We're going to read from the New International Version. If you want to follow along, we should have it on the screen for you. It reads the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as I read this, I told you I was reading, I was on a Bible plan a couple of months ago reading through Deuteronomy. And this chapter, these verses are the verses that stood out to me uh, during this time in my life and in the church life. So the reason why I've been so excited waiting for this day is because the reason why the whole series started in my spirit was because of this. And then having this is how then we backtracked and then God opened my eyes to other things as, as I looked at Deuteronomy. But this was, this was it. This was it that just jumped out the pages. And I was like, what? Probably read it 20 times in my life, but and I believe there's a message here. Are you ready? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Deuteronomy 9, verse 1. Hear, Israel, you are now about, look, to cross the Jordan to go in the land to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall. Anakites. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> At least in the New International Version, it gives you that. You're about to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall. Yeah, those Anakites. It says, you know about them and have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord Yahweh, your God, is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord Yahweh has promised you. How many people say, yeah. Right? Like, oh yeah, this is, this is what you want to hear, right? Where are them Anakites at? Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> For the first time, I'm not afraid. I'm pumped and I'm ready. All right. Now we're going to ask for some humility. Right? Because that pumped us up. I was ready to go. After the Lord, your God, has driven them out before you, look at this. Do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord Yahweh is going to drive them out before you. So this is not on the account of your righteousness, but it's on the account of their wickedness. My goodness. It is not because of your righteousness, verse 5, or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. To accomplish your will? Because you want the new land? Because you want something better? Because you want something bigger? 
clearly, we already have it established, you don't deserve this. You have no righteousness to merit this. You have no integrity to walk into this. The Lord your God will drive them out before you, look, to accomplish what he swore to your fathers. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God has given you this good land to possess. Because in all honesty, you are a stiff-necked people. Verse 7, what is the title of the series? A reason to remember, right? A reason to remember. When the past is meant to help your future. Look at verse 7. Remember this. You will see this throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Moses saying, remember, remember, remember. So he says, remember this and never forget. You cannot throw out all of the past. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord Yahweh, your God, in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. My goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Help me. Help us to see this and see how this can apply to us. What lesson is in here for us the New Testament church of Jesus Christ, but also the dwelling place church and also for you as an individual. Amen? You guys may be seated. I'm going to give you my title for this message, and it's going to be half English and half Hebrew. <laughs> and um, I'm going to ask you to bear with me. Week one was remember the past. Week two was remember obedience. Today is remember God's chesed. If I pronounce it right, I need to get that little chesed. Chesed. I'll do my best throughout the day. If not, I'm just going with the straight H, chesed. But chesed, I'm going to try. Uh and this is an incredible Hebrew word, uh, and we'll, we'll set the stage for it, okay? So we have to remember the past. That was our discussion in week one. Week two was remember obedience. You guys remember that? Do you remember that? And today is remember God's chesed. Um, what a passage, right? Moses is with the people and he's, he's, he's telling them, he begins the chapter by encouraging them first and motivating them first, almost in a way pumping them up. Literally, the book of Deuteronomy is almost a Moses' final locker room sermon to this generation who are about to step into the land that flows with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. And so Moses, through the book of Deuteronomy, is doing everything within his strength and everything with what he understands about God's will for this people, he's giving them all that he has. And then the theme of the book of Deuteronomy, you will see, is a theme to remember and to obey. I give you guys homework, right? How many did it? I'm not going to look. <laughs> Amen. Proud of you. Oh, someone did. Praise the Lord. 
you, you saw that theme of a call to remember, right? A call to remember the past and then a call to obedience in order to go forward. And, and this is the key that Moses frames this long sermon to prepare the people to transition, to transition into this, this promise that's ahead of them. Think of that as a principle when we're asking and we're believing God for new things, for, 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 for us to step into something new. How many of us have prayed for something new? It's part of the Christian life where we trust God. We know that we, uh, we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. And, and, and us as Christians, we're always, we're always proclaiming things. We're always asking God for things. We're always asking God for a bigger house. We're always asking God for a bigger car. We're always asking God for a bigger yard. We're always asking God for uh, everything needs to be bigger. Everything needs to be bigger. And you see this influence even within Christians. We always want more. Now, this is not to say that God does not desire more for you. But what I want to focus on is the principle of obtaining more. And the principle in order to obtain more is, one, you have to remember the past in order to secure the future that God is bringing you into. So just some advice here. If you're asking God for a new, you know, if you're asking God for a new relationship for all you people out there, right, remember the past ones to help you when you step into the new one. That makes sense, right? When you're asking God for a new car, remember the old car. Remember the old car that maybe you didn't care about, the oil changes that you missed, the maintenance that you didn't do, and the reckless driving. So that when you, when you step in with the new keys to that new car, you don't, you don't drive God's blessing into a wall. So the principle makes sense. You cannot throw out all of the past, because in the past are lessons to secure your future. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we've been talking about this, that he begins the book of Corinthians with telling the New Testament church to remember Israel. He tells them to remember they were all baptized in the cloud with Moses. But what did they do? They went on into idolatry and into rebellion. And then Paul tells the New Testament church, we have these as examples to keep us from doing what they did. So even Paul is understanding the principle that in order to step into the forward of all that God does have for you, even in your new humanity, your new humanity in Christ is a future promise that's been granted to us in this lifetime, that even to step into the new humanity that I have in Jesus, I do, I, I have to, yes, I have to get rid of the old man and I have to die to the old man, but I can't forget him. I have to remember what that old man did so I don't be that old man again. And as I embrace the new, I have to understand and remember some of the past. And so what does Moses tell this people in Deuteronomy chapter 9? He assures them and he gives them some very, you know, awesome words like, hey, those guys, I know they're big, I know they're strong, and I know they've been, you know, they've been at the top for a long time, but I'm giving them into your hand. He says, Anakites, those big boys over there. Those giants over there. He says, I'm giving them to you. And it's not that I'm just going to go and I'm going to wave my hand over them and they're going to vanish. No, I'm going to give them to you. You're, I'm, gonna, I'm giving them to you, but you're going to drive them out. You will go into battle with them. You will face them. You will interact with them. This is not going to be hocus pocus, demons and giants all gone. You will confront them but I will give them into your hand. 
So then we understand this too, that a promise given by God is not a promise handed by God. It requires some of your hand in God's obedience, okay? It requires your hand in the obedience in order to walk out what God just promised. And so he tells them, this is what's going to happen. Do not fear. This is Moses encouraging them not to fear anyone. It's like, here's the baddest guys around at the time. If, you don't, if I'm telling you not to fear them, then you know you don't got to be afraid of no one. Not them or anyone besides them. And so I could imagine them saying, yeah, the Anakites? And, and I could imagine the shouts, the joy, the excitement. We got excited. We got excited when we read that. Because right away we related it to us and all the giants that we fight in our lives. And you guys ready to go, you know, fight your boss when you go back home, fight your neighbor. I don't know. I don't know who you associated to the Anakites. That's what we do. And so we shouted about it, said, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, that gave us confidence. It did that for them. And literally, it was about them going in and annihilating these people because God had given them to them. Now, why is that significant? Because those are the giants that are in the land that God promised. So in many ways, it appears that these are not just giants in the land, but they're also garters of the land. This has been their home, but God is giving it to this generation. So they have to go to war in order to overthrow them, annihilate them, in order to possess the promise that God said, I'm giving to you. But then God, Moses, God, through Moses, Moses wants to remind them something very important. He says, I want you to know that this beautiful, big, spacious land that we know flows with milk and honey, and and, and the heavens rain on this, making it a land fertile and of produce. I want you to know, he says, don't get it twisted. This is not because you deserve it. You do not deserve this. You, don't, you didn't do anything to earn this. You didn't do anything to merit this. He says, this is not on the account of your righteousness nor your integrity. Wow. I remember reading this and saying, talk about God's honesty. The honesty of God, the truth of God to them, that what God has for them has nothing to do with them earning it. He then actually goes on to say, this is not even about your righteousness. It's not that you've been so good. You know what he says? It's that they've been so bad. (laughs) You haven't been so good, but they've been so bad. And I'm actually going to use you, listen, not because you're righteous, but I'm going to use you as my justice. Because one of the themes that we learn about God is that he's a God of justice. The book of Revelation is all about God's justice. All the things that burn us that burn our hearts and anger us about the injustices of the world, and we say, why is no one doing anything? Someone should be doing something. Someone should say something. How come the world can't come together and figure out this injustice? The story of the Bible tells us that the world does not come together to figure that out. 
the only one who comes and finally brings everything under justice is King Jesus later on. He will not, the Bible says, leave the wicked unpunished. And so we can have certainty that all the injustices will face justice one day. And so in this scenario here, God is actually going to use the nation of Israel as part of his own plan to bring justice over the wickedness of these nations. But in all reality, they're not that much better. The the difference that you're going to see between them and the wicked nation is not righteousness. They have wickedness, these people have no righteousness, and they have no integrity. So what is the difference? Why is God going to bring these people so undeserving into this beautiful land? The difference has nothing to do with righteousness. It has all to do with sonship. It has all to do with sonship. It has all to do with possession and belonging to God. And so God tells them in verse... uh, It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. Look, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So one, you have God's justice against these nations, and God's going to use this nation to bring justice to this nation. But then you also have the special unique thing about the nation of Israel that God made a promise to their ancestors. And so part of this and what this is really all about is about a a word that God promised to their parents. And these people are dead. God is literally keeping his promise to dead bones, to dead men, to dead women, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and to the generations. They're dead in their grave, but God is such a God of his word that he will keep a promise even to a dead man. And so now, as the generation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is going to keep that word, and he's bringing them, he's preparing them to take possession of it. My goodness. God's God's grace and his mercy goes beyond fair. His favorite, how many people heard this? Favor ain't fair? You heard that, right? Like, that's good. Favor ain't fair. Praise the Lord, right? Favor ain't fair. It's not. Because if he was giving Israel what they truly deserved, they would not be going into the land. So the reason why they're stepping into the land is because of God's favor. Dwelling Place Church, as we get ready to make a move and, oh, praise the Lord, the Caris campaign, and we're going to go into this building. We worked so hard for this. We, you know, we fasted so hard for this. Maybe you did. Uh, you know, uh, I read the Bible so much for this. I, I prayed so much for this, and I, I served so much for this. Uh, you know, I, I gave my tithe so much for this. I gave a special offering all for this. I wonder what God wants to remind our church, and I believe what God wants to remind our church is that this is not on the account of our righteousness. As much as we do all of that, as much as we give all of that, as much as we believe all of that, at the end of the day, what God is doing has nothing to do with our righteousness. 
on a bigger scale, it's on the account of the wickedness. On the wickedness that is in the land and God's will to save the land and God's will to rescue the land. And so therefore, God is using us who accepted Jesus Christ into our lives and received the plan of salvation. And now because of that, we have been made righteous in the sight of God, not because of our own doing, but because of Jesus' doing. And so now because we have Christ in us, God can use us to come into a city, come into a community, and be a light to the wickedness around. But never get it twisted that we're going into this new building because we deserved it, because we earned it, because we're righteous. It's not true. It's not true. And when I'm up late at night, I'm like, God, this has to happen. This has to go through because I really, really prayed, God, and you know how much money I gave to the building? Has to go through. All the fasting and all the work everyone has done. I got to remind myself that it will never be on the account of our righteousness. But because of the plan of God that he loves the people in the community, God will then use us to enter the land and take possession of the land, but not to annihilate anyone. It's to, to bring the people onto the Lord. Like, this is what we got to understand, church, when we're going over there. And so, remember God's hesed. When does this begin, right? When did all of this begin? Because he, he mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I, I made a promise to them. And so, we see this promise. It begins in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 shows about God coming to a man named Abram. Uh, Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3, I'll read them here. This is God's introduction. Uh, Abraham becomes the father of the nation. And in Genesis chapter 12, it reads, And the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And look, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples or the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. And so we see this amazing plan that God has. He speaks to Abraham, but it's not limited to Abraham. In the promise is that he's going to give him a child, and that child is going to turn into a great people, a great nation. And in the end, God's going to bless him to the capacity that the rest of the nations are going to be blessed because of the blessing that's on him. So in other words, Abraham is only an extension of God's blessing to the rest of the world. Israel was meant to be an extension of God's blessing to the rest of the world. He didn't choose Abraham because he was better than anybody. He didn't choose Abraham because he was more special. He didn't choose Abraham because he gave $1,000 to the Karis campaign. He didn't choose Abraham, because, not because of any of Abram's righteousness either. But even the conversation with God and Abraham is an extension of God's grace to an individual. And in God's plan, God always works through partnership with his humanity, with his creation, he could snap his fingers and everything could get done, but God chooses not to do that. 
He chooses to partner with his creation. Why? Because his creation is made in the image and the likeness of him. And so what was lost in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, God tries to restore. It's part of God's saving plan. He loves his creation. He loves humanity. It doesn't matter how dark they get or the darkness that they're in or the wickedness that they're in the midst of. God loves them to the point that he did everything within his own power to save humanity. And so that act, that act of saving was revealed and manifested through the life of Jesus Christ. But it all begins with a rescue mission, and God speaks to this man named Abraham. After that, in verse 6, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So even speaking to Abraham, he tells Abraham, the land here that you see, I'm giving this to your offspring. So now we have in scripture, God speaking to a man and making a promise to a man. In Genesis chapter 15, some time goes by and Abraham sees that he doesn't have any child and he starts saying, God, what am I going to do? All I have is my servant in my home. Maybe he can receive the promise. And God's like, no, you, 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 you will. You will have this child. You will have a people. You have a seed. He takes him outside and says, look up at the sky. Can you count the stars? That's as numerous as your, your, your generation will be. The Bible then says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited, it was counted unto him as righteousness. So he takes him out. He showed him that vision later on. In that same chapter, he has a crazy nightmare, I would say. But in that nightmare of a dream, he sees that his people, that generation, will be enslaved in a land that's not their own, and they'll be in captivity for 400 years. But in the nightmare, God appears to Abraham and tells him, but they will come out. I will deliver them, and I will. And it tells you in Genesis chapter 15 that God made a covenant with Abraham saying that I will bring your generation into this land to possess it. And so what do we have? We have God speaking to one man, giving him a promise of inheritance. And how the rest of the narrative goes and unfolds as Abraham, you know, he has Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob, and then Jacob has the 12 sons, and Abraham eventually dies, Isaac eventually dies, Jacob eventually dies, Joseph eventually dies, and the people get into Egypt, and they're numerous. Pharaoh gets afraid of them, tries to kill them because he's afraid that they're going to join with, their, with his enemies, and they're going to take over the country and the nation. And so Pharaoh tries to kill them. He then enslaves them, and for 400 years, they're in bondage and in slavery. And then God calls Moses from a burning bush and says, go get my people out of there. We're going to show Pharaoh who is God. And with 10 words and acts of God's hand, God brings justice over Egypt, and God delivers the nation out as he spoke to Abraham that he would. And the purpose of bringing them out of that bondage is to bring them into the promised land, a place of blessing. We have to ask ourselves, why would God even do this? Because when you read Exodus, Leviticus, read Numbers, the journey to the promised land was less than 14 days, but their rebellion, their doubt, it, it's, why would God even want to bring them into this land? 
And so all of this, too, is not just about sonship. It's all about the character of God and who he is. Almost more than this is about you and me, it's about God and who he is. It's about the character of God when he speaks. It's not on their righteousness or on their integrity. But it is on God's righteousness and on his integrity of his own word. And so, as we continue in this story, when they get out into the wilderness, God is speaking to Moses, and he he speaks to Moses and gives a description of himself and of his character to this generation that just experienced beautiful deliverance out of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, It's a very well-known passage to many of us, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it from the New International Version, um, and we'll talk about it in some other versions. But it reads this, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. How many people have read that passage before? And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate one, the gracious God, two, slow to anger, three, abounding in love, four, and faithfulness, five. God himself describes himself to them and his character in five different meaning and powerful ways. He says, this is how I want you to to speak and and, and for the people to understand who I am. Surely God is more, and there's more characteristics of God than five. But here, the message that Moses needed to bring to them was that he is compassionate, he is a gracious God, he is slow to anger, he's abounding in love, and he is faithful. This is the God who just brought you out. And, And you know what? This It's because of these characteristics that God is going to bring them in. It's those characteristics that bring them out of Egypt, and it's those same characteristics and the nature of God that bring them into the promised land. How many people know this passage of Scripture? Now, abounding in love. I read that in the New International Version. Does anyone here have that in another version, another translation? Someone's like, I heard that verse, but I think I've heard it a different way. And if you read this in different translations, you're going to see that the word abounding in love changes from translation to translation. And and here's just a little bit of Bible study tip. When you're reading the Bible and if you have multiple translations and then you see that there's one word that's changed around a couple of times or it's interpreted different, it's, it's, it's a hint for the reader to know that the English translators, whichever version you're reading, is, are doing their best to capture the essence in the Old Testament, specifically here, of a Hebrew word. And so the, 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 the English translators are pulling on their language, they're pulling on our language, most of the time they're pulling on the language of their time to convey a Hebrew word or expression that thousands of years prior to it, and, and this is their best effort to translate the word so that we can get the, 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 the full meaning of the phrase or the word. 
And so what's so fascinating is that what we read in the New International Version about abounding in love as one of those characteristics, right? We said, oh, it's about the love of God, the love of Yahweh, the love of God who did this. He's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's faithful. But we all know that this is about the love of God. It's this fascinating word in Hebrew that is hesed. So when you're reading this in Hebrew, it doesn't say abounding in love. <laughs> in Hebrew, it says hesed. Now, the thing about the word hesed is this, that there is no one-to-one translation of that word in English. We don't have a word in English, hear me, to capture all that hesed is implying. And so what English translators are doing in other translations, the Bible's not only translated in English, but every other language would have this task and responsibility. How do we capture the essence of this Hebrew word hesed? The New International Version translators translated this as abounding in love. And so you could already see, they could have just said compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving. But they didn't. There's an emphasis on the love. It's letting you know that this is not just a regular word love here. It's abounding in love. And so what the English translator did in the New International Version is they put two words together to try to, try to help compensate for the lack of, 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 of love in English. And so they say abounding in love. Any other translations some of you might have? How many, have, how many King James people are out there, New King James readers? Well, you guys don't exist anymore? <laughs> I grew up on that stuff. My mom still reads it. You got one right here. If you got King James. What does it say there? Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed over before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Abundant in goodness. Abundant in goodness. So that's, a, that's, a, that's, even, that's a King James Version, but an old King James Version. If you got your Bible app, depending on the translation you use, it's then translated as mercy or as goodness. If you have an English Standard Version, you're going to have the word steadfast love. If you go to a New American Standard Bible, you're going to either see faithfulness or loving kindness, depending on the version of the translation. If you have a new living translation, you're going to see the word unfailing love or faithful love. So what are all these translators doing? Do you know that there are some words that don't translate over from one language to the other? You, you have to try to find the essence and the meaning. And so all of these different words used to translate this one word hesed, it's love, mercy, goodness, steadfast love, loving kindness, faithfulness, unfailing love, faithful love, and Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says loyal love. This is just everybody giving their best shot at trying to express God's hesed to us. All of this abounding love, all this love, even the word love is a limit to try to express his love towards, towards his creation. It does not exist. The essence of the word is this. It is a love 
that has to do with covenant. It's relational. It has action. And it's gracious in giving. I heard an example of, 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 of it explained like this. It's like a husband and wife that grow old together. And it gets to the point where the wife no longer can care for herself. And now the husband who entered into a covenant relationship with this woman years ago, now in, 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 at this time of her life where she cannot do for herself what she once did, the husband now cares for her, feeds her, bathes her, does whatever she needs to do. And he does it out of love, not obligation, but he does it out of commitment. He does it out of this steadfast love. He does it out of mercy. He's doing this out of faithfulness. He's doing this to show that his love is unfailing. He's doing this because of loyal love. He's doing it knowing that he's not going to get that back. It's, it's hesed. It's not about the person who's receiving it. It's about the person who's giving it, and their motive of giving it is because of covenantal relationship. What a word. So our best shot is loving kindness. When we say low love, we, we tend not to think of those things. See, when we think of love and we think of mercy, we go like this. But hesed is love and mercy all working together. When, when we think of love, we think of just affection. No, there's a Hebrew word for love. You guys remember last week? Ahava. Ahava is love in Hebrew. Aha. That's how I remember that. Ahava is love in Hebrew. Hesed implies so much more. Deuteronomy 7, if we go back two chapters, verse 7 and 9, say this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were fewest of all peoples. But it was because of the Lord, look, because the Lord loved you and there, if you go into the Hebrew, it's Ahava there. It's because of Ahava and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you up out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord, uh, your God, is God. Look at the words now. He is faithful, God, keeping his covenant of, guess what's the word there? It's not Ahava. If you read it in English, it's keeping his covenant of love. It's actually the word hesed there. Keeping his covenant of hesed to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And this is why God brings them into the land. Not because of their faithfulness, not because of their integrity, but it's because of his hesed for them. And truth be told, God is the God of Hesed. And when we move to the new building, we got to remember the past, we got to remember obedience, and then we have to remember Hesed. We have to remember that we're stepping into this on account of God's righteousness and His promise to do something. One, I remember this happened to us when we were here. 
I can't remember how many years ago, but I remember Pastor Tanya, my wife, speaking about how, I can't remember if it was a revelation or a dream or a sentiment where, she would, where God revealed his heart over the city. God allowed her to feel his love, his mercy, his compassion over the city. And when she felt that conversation began like, wow, I'm not, we didn't move to Florida because I wanted a, you know, I want a house one day and I want green grass and a white fence. We, that would be nice, but that's not why we moved. Still working on the white fence. <laughs> and that grass need to be treated, praise the Lord. <laughs> but point being is that we're not here doing all of this because of some will that we had here. We know that God brought us because of some will that he has here. And in that will, we re- God revealed to, to us that he has hesed here. There's a covenantal love that God wants to do here, and that goes bigger than me, and that goes bigger than you. We just get invited to be hesed to the people. You can clap for that. That's good. That's good. And so the amazing thing is this, that most of us also do this. I like New Testament Jesus, God of the Old Testament. That guy was stern. That, that, that when, when, when God had Jesus, all of a sudden he had an epiphany, and now he got a kid, and now he knows what it's like, and he became merciful. Now God knows what it feels like. He had Jesus, and now he knows. You telling me that there was no grace in the Old Testament? <laughs> you telling me that we entered into grace when Jesus Christ came? These people are walking into a land that they don't deserve. They have no righteousness. They have no integrity. They don't know whether to believe him or not to believe him. Talk about the Father's grace. Don't ever look in the Old Testament and be like, oh, he was, a mer- he, you know, he, he was less merciful then, and all of a sudden now we're more merciful. Like, this, this is hesed. This is God's hesed. And God's hesed goes from generation to generation. Jesus Christ is an act of God's hesed. He told the people of Israel through Moses, you're entering in this land not account of your righteousness, but because of a promise that I made on my hesed. You know what Romans 5, 6, and 6 through 8 say? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, didn't God just tell the children of Israel that he, you, he, you weren't stronger than anyone? You were actually weaker? I didn't choose you because you were stronger. You actually were weaker than everybody. Look at what the New Testament Paul is saying. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And so while you are a sinner, God is giving you the opportunity to enter into covenant relationship with him and experience a new life in Jesus Christ. A sinner is not getting better, and then because they got better, they get to be saved. A sinner is a sinner. And God loves, he extends his hesed towards that sinner. And while the sinner is still a sinner, Christ died for that sinner. 
He's not waiting for the sinner to get righteous. He's not waiting for the sinner to get it together. He's not waiting for the sinner to clean up their act. No, he died for the sinner, and then there's an inheritance of salvation the minute that sinner crosses over into grace. This is what was happening to the nation of Israel. They were unrighteous, but he had a promise sworn to them. And if they were crossed over and obeyed, then they would live long in the land. You see the Hesed all over. First Peter 1, chapter 3 and 4 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great look, mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And if we're smart, we know that that's not because of our righteousness. So there's, there, there's a promise of an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Why is that available? It's not our righteousness. It's not our integrity. But it's God's hesed. As I was talking about this this week, I've been spending a lot of time with my mama. As you guys know, uh, my mom, a couple of months ago, was diagnosed with blood cancer. And since she was hospitalized for over a month's time, I believe, uh, it was a difficult journey for her. She ended up having COVID at the same time, uh, and it was difficult for our family to try to, you know, be there, present at her side. Uh, we thank God um, that she has passed those phases, and doctors started to care for her and treat her, and more than that, more than that, the church prayed for her. More than that, the church prayed. And we know if the doctors did anything right, it was because of God's hand over her. And so we thank God for the doctors and the care, but we thank God for, for being the God that he is. And um, she's now an outpatient, and she goes in five days a week for chemotherapy, um, driving to Orlando, and so that has created nice long drives with my mother. It's created nice, you know, moments of just listening to music or watching videos or talking about God. And I was talking to her about uh, this message and this awesome word, hesed. And as we were talking, she was like, yes, Tito. That's what she calls me. My mom calls me that. <laughs> My mom. Okay. My mom calls me that. Yeah. <laughs> and... We were talking about, I was saying, this word is just, this word is wild because the word implies mercy, but it's not mercy alone because mercy could, it could, is also an association with to pity someone, it's, but it's not just mercy alone because God's not just doing this because he pitied them only. He also loved them. So now there's love and there's mercy. It's, it's not just loving kindness. But it's also a promise, so it's covenantal. It implies so much. And as we're talking about this, my mom was like, oh, yeah, mercy. Like when the Bible says, his mercy endureth forever. I'm like, yeah. So I went back and I said, let me find where exactly that's at. And what's so fascinating that there's a whole chapter that's devoted speaking about 
God's mercy enduring forever. And so you know what I did? I said, let me go check that word out. Let's see if it, you check the word, it's hesed. His hesed endures forever. And so I said, Mom, you want to read that with me? Let's, let's read that chapter. Now, her last doctor update, according to what they saw in her blood already, she's already in remission. So she's only continuing her treatment because it's what the doctors have to do, and she has to fulfill her plan with them. Um, and then in, in a couple of months, they'll do a spinal tap on her just to reconfirm that going to the bone marrow. But we know God's hesed is all over her. So church, we're going to read Psalm 136 and. What I want you to do is, I don't even want you necessarily to think of my mother or think of me, but I want you to think of you and your life. And as we read this, as the psalmist is speaking, after he says something, he reaffirms, he reaffirms it with God's hesed endures forever. And so I just pray that as we read that Maybe God could bring something to your mind, bring a, a situation to you, whether it's of the past or whether it's something present, but that you will know that his hesed endures forever. So if it's a moment of the past, hesed was there. If it's a moment right now, hesed is here. And if you're worried about tomorrow, hesed endures forever. I'm going to begin reading Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his hesed endureth forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Because his hesed endureth forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his hesed endureth forever. To him who alone does great wonders. For his hesed endureth forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. For his hesed endureth forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. For his hesed endureth forever. Who made the great lights. For his hesed endureth forever. The sun to govern the day. For his hesed endureth forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night. For his hesed endureth forever. And brought and to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. For his hesed endureth forever. Who brought Israel out from among them. For his hesed endureth forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. For his hesed endureth forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. For his hesed endureth forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it. 
for his hesed endure forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. For his hesed endure forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his hesed endure forever. To him who struck down great kings. For his hesed endure forever. And killed mighty kings. For his hesed endure forever. Anakites. <laughs> Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his hesed endure forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his hesed endure forever. And gave their land as an inheritance. Yes, for his hesed endure forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. For his hesed endure forever. He remembered us in our low estate. For his hesed endure forever. And freed us from our enemies. For his hesed endure forever. He gives food to every creature. For his hesed endure forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his hesed endure forever. Amen. I think that's the first time me and my mother ever preached together. So we're all here today because of his hesed. This does not mean that in the gates are called to obedience. It's a call. Remember the book of Deuteronomy. Right after this, he says, obey, obey, obey. <laughs> but it's with the understanding that God's hesed is bringing us from glory to glory. It's about his promises that are not just over my life. That's so small thinking to think that this is about the promises over my life. It's about the plan and the promises and his heart over our city and in our community it goes beyond us. So here's, here's another thing. Hess is about me, but it's not limited to me. Just another. It's about this intimate loving covenant relationship that God has with all of his creation his deep affection but not in word alone but in action this is the God that loves us and this is the God who saved us and this is the God who's going before us and this is the God that blesses us and this is the God that keeps us and this is the same God that when we fail to obey that also said I'm slow to anger and I'm compassionate, and I'm gracious. My loyal love is here. My faithful love is here. My steadfast love is here. My mercy is here. This is who is leading us. This is why we have to remember. All it takes for you to go back, <laughs> and you know you didn't deserve this. Just go back. Just go back a little bit and you know that you don't, we don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve our salvation and we don't deserve any promise that we're declaring and decreeing in Christ Jesus' name. We, we can do that because he makes promises to us, but it's on account of his righteousness, not ours. So, Father, I just pray right now also, Lord, that you will prepare our hearts, Lord, that you will humble us, Lord, 
and that we understand that us going forward and possessing the promise is bigger than us, Lord. May we just be your humble servants, Lord God, in obedience, Lord, helping us not to remember, helping us not to forget who we were, Father. Help us to remember always that you saved us, Lord God. You brought us through the waters, Lord. And Father, it was really you, your hand over our enemies, Father. The enemy of sin and death, Lord, have been defeated because of your hesed, Lord. Father, we thank you for this mercy that endures forever. Today, Father, I pray that today will be a day of salvation. If someone's been on the outside this whole time, that today in this moment, Lord, they would know that it's this love that is over them still. So today, may they come back to the Father. May they come back to Abba, Lord, today. Father, help us never to remember to forget this, Father. Help us always to remember. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.